Father. You love us more than we know. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for making a way so we could come to you. God, forgive us. We forget that. We turn back to old ways that kept us enslaved. And when, God, we don't reflect your image properly, God, help us burn with the same love that you have for others, for those who are lost. Help us to show people that there's a better way. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. I thank you so much. Pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to struggle with this one, guys. Good morning. We started a series called Design for Glory. And last week, Bjorn took us through an extensive, an extensive list of things that we believe. And we were extensive in that because we're not, we're not going to stand up here and just say what's true without giving the reason scriptures give, the practical Spiritual reasons why we believe the way God created sexuality is the best way. But naturally, naturally, as we begin thinking about this topic, especially in today's culture, the kind of the question that, 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 that comes in our own mind or even get asked is a question that's like this. As a Christian, how am I to interact with those outside the church, especially those who may differ in beliefs when it comes to sexuality and its purpose and its design? How am I, as a Christian, to interact with those outside the church? You know, as I thought about that question, the first thing that came to my head is like, this is a rhetorical question, right? Like, this is rhetorical. We we don't really need to answer this, right? Because we should know this. But it's not rhetorical, and it needs to be talked about. We need to wrestle with this. We We need to think about this. Because the enemy is at work in our culture and in our hearts to respond not in a Christ-like way to people who are outside of the church. Now I'm going to ask for permission from brothers and sisters. Permission is this, to be able to speak freely and to let you know that openly I'm going to say some things this morning, things that that are for us, for the church of God. Those who say, I follow Jesus. We're going to talk about things and I'm going to say things that are going to sound critical and challenging, and we need to have moments like this. We can't expect spiritual growth, which is one of our pillars, to happen if we only get around and exalt all the great things that we do. Growth comes through being tested by fire, which means we have to talk about the hard things and be willing to look inwardly and say, God, where have we missed this? Because I believe the gospel changes everything. 
And I tend to get in the way of people seeing that. And then I would say this, especially, especially towards LGBTQ plus people. As someone who claims to follow Christ, how am I to act and interact with those who would believe differently than me when it comes to sexuality? Answering this question, I want you to think of a word. The word is this, posture. I don't have uh, notes on the screen because this sermon was changed 10 billion times up to the 11th hour last night. And so I will give you the highlights. If you want to take notes, I'll give you highlights of what I would recommend writing down. I want you to think of a word, posture, when answering it. A posture like Jesus is what we're talking about today. Jasper, why do you use the word posture? Posture is is the, the way in which we present ourselves to people, what people see, our attitude, our approach. What are people seeing in the church of God, the capital C church, Christians? What do people see? Posture is important. Let me give you some examples. Do you think posture is important at an airport? Is your posture important at an airport? They have the people hired, hired to stand there and stare at you. To see what your posture is because it's communicating something. If you don't think it matters, go walking through the airport, bent over, sweating, rapidly looking around with your hands in your coat. And see what happens. I also thought about our posture with animals. You know, when I was growing up, we were told dogs can sense your fear. Which actually made me more scared. And really what's happening is, and dogs can tune into your posture, the nervous behavior and you know the the uh the body language and i remember one time when i was a kid my grandfather had these horribly mean dogs three of them and they like guarded the door and i was trying to go into the door and i couldn't they were staring at me i was staring at them i began to shake i began to kind of look and i kept looking at them in the face and they they would kind of like get up and they'd get closer then i would back up and they'd get a little closer and they started growling and then i took off running and i ran all the way to the pond and i jumped in because <laughs> I was scared to death, screaming the whole time. And then when I jumped in the pond, I was worried snapping turtles were going to bite my toes off. <laughs> Parents, does your child's posture matter when you're talking to them? Does it matter when you're trying to communicate something to them and their posture is very disrespectful? It, communi- it doesn't matter. I'm listening. I heard you, mom, dad. Yeah. <sighs> You know, your words said you were listening, and that's all I needed to hear. I feel so much better. I feel so much. Thank you for listening. No, the only thing that you hear is the truth that's emanating from their body and their response and their posture, which is disrespect. I remember a story. A friend from college, a girl told me that I have remembered ever since. I knew a girl in college whom I learned something about parenting. And to this day, I still think about it. I still remember she said she had had sex with her boyfriend. And her parents found out. Her family was Christian and heavenly involved in the church. But since her parents found out about her relationship with her boyfriend, here's what she described. With tears in her eyes, that ever since then, the way that her dad looks at her stares at her. She said, it, it's, it's with disgust 
and it feels like he doesn't love me and he's done with me because of what I've done. Even though he says he loves me, I don't believe it. How about you? I'm sure too you can think about people and circumstances in your life where the posture of someone has made you nervous and uneasy and felt unloved regardless of what they're saying. You see where I'm going with this? How about the church? Capital C Church. How do you think our posture has been? Would it grade ourselves? How do you think that the posture, which means what people see, the approach and the attitude that people in the LGBTQ community, what do you think that they think we think of them? We've polarized ourselves. Preston Sprinkle from the book People to be Loved, which I would recommend anyone get and read. He said this. He said, a gay friend of mine leads a Bible study for a gay and lesbian people at his college campus. And he recently told me that all the participants of his study are hungry to know God's word, but they are too scared to go to church. My friend didn't say uninterested or turned off or too busy. He said scared as in frightened. They feared they would be harassed or harmed, beat up or bullied verbally or physically if they stepped across the holy threshold on Sunday. Another thing they all had in common is that they had all tried to kill themselves at one point. The last place they think they would find good news worthy of life is inside the church. So they remain outside, hungry to know God's word, yet terrified of the people inside the church. I read this and I had to put the book down because our heart is not that. We don't want people to feel that way. We want people to know, like, oh, I'm, I, I'm just like you. The gospel changed my life, and I want it to change your life. Please come in and find rest for your weary soul. But I fear, I fear the enemy has worked among the people of God to get involved in a war that's not ours, in a war we're not called to. We are called to something higher, to the summit which isn't on the other side of the battlefield. When polled, the majority of people's perspective on the church, especially younger people, is that the church is, here's their first, their first, their first, first thought, anti-homosexual, hypocritical, and judgmental. Now, does that mean that that's true? Now, we know the enemy works and he wants to make people outside the church to have an evil view of us. So there's a point where the enemy works and Jesus said, if they hated me, they'll hate you. Even Jesus, as gentle and as kind and as loving as he was, giving his life down, still received a wrong perspective from people. But that's the gospel. It is offensive. But is it the gospel only that has been offending people? Or has our posture been helping it? I'm talking to all of us. And know if you sense any frustration coming from my voice, it's because I'm looking in the mirror and facing the reality of where I have failed to show Jesus to people. I don't think it bothers outsiders that we sin. It bothers them when we act like we don't. We need to stop thinking about an issue and start thinking about individuals. We need to stop thinking about policies and start thinking about people. Because that's who we're talking about. Let me give you a caveat, though. A caveat to all of us. Our goal is not to make the gospel of Christ less offensive. You hear that? Our goal is not to make it less offensive. 
Because in that goal, if that's a motivation, we'll end up compromising the truth. But it is to take ownership where we have been offensive, inexcusably, as the church of God, as the ambassadors of Christ, as believers where we have hid the light of the gospel, it's good news, and instead shined a false gospel of works, judgment, self-righteousness, and hypocrisy, where we have taken the image of Christ, which we are to be conformed to, ignored it, and demanded everyone outside conform. Reform does not start in the world, does it? Where does reform start? Where does it start? In the church. It starts in the church, and it needs to. So, I'm not talking about changing truth. I'm talking about what is our posture. This This is a message towards us as a church collectively, but also to us as an individual. What is my posture towards lost people? But specifically, I think... We need to specifically ask that question towards gay people, towards those who are, who are sexually different in their thinking than us, who are in a community outside of the church that do not know the gospel and do not recognize God's design. What is your posture? What is it? Because it matters. Jesus was full of grace and truth. We learned that in John chapter 1, that from his fullness, the full resources of God, we have 100% grace and 100% truth. And it's being poured out on all humanity, not 50-50, but 100-100. We look at Jesus, we see a life that as he came and was, was among people, people who were sick, people who needed truth, he was not condemning, but gracious, not surprised, but calm, not combative, but peaceful, not demanding, but patient, not burdensome, but easy, not unloving, but loving, not compromising, but truthful, not selfish, but serving, not repelled, but engaged. Ironically, the only time Jesus righteously deviated from this posture was when dealing with the religious leaders. Guess who that would be today? You know who that would be today? Me. People who should have known better. People who were put in positions to help lead the people in truth and point them to God and shepherd their hearts. But Jesus looks out into people and he's moved with compassion because he sees people with sheep who are wandering lost without a shepherd. Preston Sprinkle also said from his book that Jesus was able to preach hard-hitting, biblically saturated, ethically demanding sermons. And yet sinners and tax collectors were drawn to the presence of Christ. It wasn't because their behavior was affirmed. It was because their humanity was affirmed. Their humanity was affirmed. Now, church, you all, rightly so, would set me straight if I got up here and I started preaching a works-based salvation because you know in your heart you've experienced no flesh will be justified by the works of the law. And you say, listen, you're pointing to people that something that has no power. The law doesn't have power. It actually condemns us, but it's the grace of God that works and brings us to a place where we can actually be changed. And so we we make sure to protect that here, right? But are we struggling to give that to those who need it and who were where we were once? This is the posture. The true error 
And the capital C church, universal church, is though we have experienced the life-giving grace of God apart from work, we are seemingly hesitant to extend it to those outside the church, especially LGBTQ plus people. Which means, since there's already a perception out there, we want to, like Paul, become all things to all people that we might by all means save some. Do anything and everything we can to communicate, communicate the gospel, which is one that says, man, God loves you. He is here for you. And we all are on a journey. And this is the best way. This is the best way. But first, but first, as, as we're going to look at what a posture of Jesus looks like, and I'm going to give you some things that if you're writing, I think can be helpful in our mind to reflect on and meditate on. But first, why is it so important for us to strive for this? I want to give us a simple answer to this eternal purpose. First and foremost, here's a motivation. If we're told in Romans 8, 29, that we were foreknown, which means those whom he foreknew, God knew you intimately before you were even created, before the world was even created. We were foreknown to be predestined and predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. What does that mean for us today? That means that God is trying to work in us that our life would be conformed and it would look like the life of Jesus. And so when we study Jesus and we see him walking among people, that's what he wants us, us to look like. First John 2, 6 says, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So what does a posture of Jesus look like? If you're writing down and you want to take notes, here's the first thing I want you to write down. Posture of Jesus is a posture of empathy, not condemnation. A posture of empathy, not condemnation. Todd is going to be in 1 Corinthians 5 next week. And that passage is going to talk about how the church is to relate to one another when it comes to breaking outside of God's design for sexuality. You see, there is a way in which we interact, but we need to make sure we're interacting in the right way to the right person because it is different within the church. But Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, he says this as he writes to a group of Christians who had deviated from the design of God and sexuality within the church. And then he said this, though, about outsiders. He says, for what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those on the outside. And then Paul talks about the idea that you can't remove yourself from people outside the church. You are the light. You need to be in them and among them and around them. This is what we strive for. Why? Because at the root of condemning an unbeliever, someone outside the church, we are doing to them what we desperately beg God not to do for us. Let me say that again. When we... Judge, meaning condemn unbelievers, people outside the church. We are doing to them, either to their face or in our heart, we are doing to them what we beg God not to do to us. And if you go to the next chapter, 1 Corinthians 6, Paul reminds them, such were some of you. He gives them this list, this list of missing the mark characteristics, which is sin, Not to somehow point a finger and show how bad people in the world are, but to remind them, you were no different. 
This is everyone apart from Christ. Such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of God, reminding them where their true identity is. The posture of empathy, not condemnation, because we too are on planet earth in a flesh and we can look out and see someone who's wandering and we should be moved with compassion. Remember, I know, I know what it's like. I know what it's like to go your own way, try to figure out life on your own. I know what it's like and I so desperately want to help you. I'm just a beggar trying to point another beggar to where the bread is. Oh, would you please listen? God has given me such an abundant life. I want you to know it. I want you to know it because I love you. It's a far different message than, oh, what are you doing? James 1 reminds us, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Each person, each person, each person, everyone on planet has been given because of the curse and the weakness of the flesh and because it passed down through Adam's sin. We all have some type of desire that leads us away from the perfect good design of God. And it's deep within us, especially when it comes to sexuality, because this is such, this is such a moment of, of sensuality and senses and feeling, and it's deeply seeded into our body and into our emotions. And so we would expect to see different desires of how sex would be done and how gender is. And we see that. But the message of Christianity is like, oh, whoa, whoa, wait, look at the awesome design of God. You know, God made you look what he made. And when it came to sex, he made sex, he made sexuality, he made genders and it's good. It's good. Scripture says there's a way that seems right to a man. Every single one of us was going the way we thought was right before Jesus invaded our life and showed us mercy and grace. Each one of us. But the scripture reveals the end of that way is death. It doesn't bring true satisfaction and joy. And so we're motivated to help people see the right way. The challenge is this. Here's the challenge and here's what we need to think about it. Right? We can think about it on a big scale, but then we need to bring it down to an individual level. Are we, is the LGBTQ plus community, the new tax collectors of today. The tax collectors, I mean, if we want to really talk about a rap sheet of, of missing the mark, doing things wrong and being known in a reputation in the community of being wicked and evil, tax collectors would have had it back in that day. Remind you of Levi made a great great feast in the house for Jesus. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. And Jesus comes in and he sits among them and he just loves on them. But it says this, and the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered to them, those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. We need to look back at the life of Christ and constantly be reminded of his manner and his posture of life. One that had a purpose where he did not come to condemn, but to seek and to save the lost. This was his purpose. And Jesus has done that so wonderfully for us. And he does it every single day because his mercies are new every single morning. And Jesus would meet 
and sit and eat and get to know tax collectors apart from pointing out all the things that they were doing wrong in their life. His posture was one where people felt safe, safe and they felt as if they mattered. You know, he says here, sinners to repentance. Let me redefine that. Sinners to repentance. Here's another way of saying it, which means to stop going your own way and let's go God's way. We only know what sin is because we know what God's standard is. Sin is simply going a deviating from the, the way of God. And if we're not careful, we'll all, we all apart from Jesus are like a bunch of prideful husbands that are refusing to ask for directions. Right? We know, we know what that's like, especially before Jesus. It's like, hey, hey, I know where I'm going. No, 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 no. And then everybody else in the car, you know, the kids and mom, dad, mom, and the kids are like, I know, I know, I know. I'll talk to him. I'll try. Honey, you think we should get, nope, nope, nope. I know where I'm going. Refusing to stop and ask for directions. And if directions are given where they're snuffed at, they're ignored, continue going our own all the way everyone else can see and is begging for the person just to listen. You know, before we know Jesus and those outside of the church, we're all, we're all just going our own way. And it's hard sometimes to get directions. That's why we need Jesus to work in our hearts. He softens our hearts and he prepares us. The posture of Jesus is one of empathy, not condemnation. Don't forget the unclean woman with a bleeding issue who was able to touch Jesus. The woman caught in adultery with many accusers and condemners. The woman who washed the feet of Jesus with her hair. And Jesus said her sins are many. And Zacchaeus, among many other sinners, Jesus sees him in the tree. And he says, come down, Zacchaeus. I'm going to your house today. And he's changed. Zacchaeus is changed. Why? Because of the supernatural reality that Jesus is real and the power is in him and the message that he brought to the world that he's left with us. That's the power. And to miss this, to miss this posture means that LGBT people will not see Jesus in us, but the influence of a Satan following Pharisee. Posture matters. We all agreed at the beginning, posture matters. We can communicate all day long with our, with our mouth, but how we present ourselves and what we show people is what they'll actually see. Second posture is this, a posture of intercession, not aloofness. A posture of intercession, not aloofness. And if you want to, we're going to finish in Colossians chapter four. Turn there. Stay with me, church. Colossians chapter four. What do I mean by a posture of intercession and not aloofness? Let me work backwards from that. Aloofness would be just uninvolved, uninterested, like kind of ignoring, not even aware of what's going on around us. Our posture in life as we're left here on planet Earth as believers, especially amongst the lost, needs to be one that, that, that's eyes are open and is seeing the multitudes of people with empathetic, but also engaging first and foremost in prayer. First and foremost in prayer. Colossians 4, verse 2, Paul says this to the Colossians. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer. Continue, which means stay in it. Steadfastly means like it's important. It needs to be like a major part of the day. 
being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And then Paul asks for prayer himself. So one, he gives the exhortation to pray, but then he's going to request prayer showing he actually believes it's a powerful thing. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on, a which of account, on, on account of which I am in prison. He's in prison because of his stand for the gospel, his preaching of the gospel and the good news. But then he says in verse four, that I may make it clear, clear, which is how I ought to speak. You see, when we're in the world looking around, our hearts need to be a posture, one that shows that, man, I'm interceding for people. I care for people. I care about what's going on in people's lives. I care that people are lost. I want to intercede. Not only that, I want to intercede and ask God, would you open a door a door in my everyday life to give me the opportunity to be able to speak to someone about you. I mean, come on, we, we can go and speak like forcibly all day long into people's lives, but unless God, we know it, I want that open door where the ear is hearing and the heart's listening. We must be praying for people. I ask you, do you have a posture of intercession in your alone time when you're out and about where you're praying you're asking God to give you opportunity to show Jesus to someone. Or are we aloof? Nah. Not, not even thinking about it. Because that posture is going to bleed from us to the outside. To miss this means that the LGBT person will be left alone in darkness while we pass by on the other side of the road, reflecting the image of someone who doesn't even care or notice. Third posture is this. What's the posture of Jesus look like? A posture of walking wisely, not foolishly. This is a big one. A posture of walking wisely, not foolishly. Look what he says in verse 5 of Colossians 4. He says this, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. People outside of the church, your behavior matters. There needs to be a certain manner in which you walk. Other, I think, other interpretations, if you have it, says, look carefully then how you walk. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Making the, what does that mean? That means, hey, listen, time is short. You want to make, you want to use your time the best way you can for the sake of the gospel. Your life needs to be, it needs to be wise in its walk, especially toward outsiders who are watching. You better believe they're watching. It's a posture that says, what does walking wisely look like? It wrestles with that imperative, desires to seek it out, studies the walk of Jesus in order to know, treasures God's word. It walks with a sensitivity around people, always aware of his or her responses and reactions to everyday life. It practices what it preaches. Now listen to this. It is why, is it, I'm gonna ask you some questions. Think through this process with me. Is it wise to invite your neighbor to church every Sunday, but flirt with their spouse every Tuesday in the driveway? Is that a wise walk? It's making the best use of your time. Is that actions that are proving what you say about Jesus are true? Is it wise to share verses on Facebook in between posts full of gossip and slander? Is that a wise walk that's making best use of time? Is that causing, is, are your actions Proving that what you say about Jesus is actually true, or is it undoing it? 
Is it wise to talk about Jesus at work all the time and how he changed your life while you're always showing up late and disrespecting the authority of your boss and doing a half-hearted effort? Is that wise? Is it wise to tell a gay person what sexual immorality is while there is porn sites sitting on your phone's history or would have been if you hadn't deleted the trace, which you probably confessed and enjoyed the mercy and grace of God to forgive you the hundred billionth time as you fell into the same sexual sin for the hundred billionth time. And then in the same day, heap the law with no grace onto a gay or trans person's shoulders who may not even know what the gospel is. Either in your heart as you stare at them with disgusted eyes condemning them or to their face. Either way, not wise and a waste of time. Paul is saying, look carefully how you walk. Jesus has changed your life. Let people see that change. Be aware. Draw posture that walks wisely, not foolishly. Our actions are either propelling the gospel into people's hearts saying it's real and I'm proof or it's simply nailing another coffin into the stereotypical hypocritical perspective of the church. To miss this means we've wasted the time on earth that God gave us to live in such a way to show people the gospel actually changes everything. Remember church. preaching this to myself. We're a family. We need to talk about these things. Fourth posture. Finally, posture of Jesus is a posture of grace-filled speech. A posture of grace-filled speech. Nothing less. Posture of grace-filled speech. Nothing less. It's walking wisely. I want you to think not simply in terms also of people outside the church who are struggling with sexuality. Because people within the church, we all struggle with the flesh. And I would say the church has done a good job allowing men to open up and find comfort and, and find one another and, and find an ability to be able to confess their struggles with, say, pornography, pornography or things like that. But is there someone here, maybe you're here, struggling with same-sex attraction? And in your mind, you're like, there's no way I'm opening up. These people will not understand what I'm going through. It'll be judgment. Please, please don't think that. You have brothers and sisters here. We're all weak. We all have our own desires that are off the path of God's design. I want you to feel the love and the comfort and the ability to be able to open up to me or anyone else here. Paul says this, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. You know, at the end of the day, if you said the right thing to someone, well, you make sure whatever you say is always gracious, seasoned with salt, grace-filled speech. And let me remind you what James says about our tongue. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. <clears throat> and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and it is set on fire by hell. Our tongue is like a match that we flick into the dry grass, and it starts, and the next thing you know, 
all of the countryside is on fire. And we all try to trace it back to the one issue of where this fire started. And it was this tiny little thing that was miscarelessly used. And our tongue can tear down everything. It matters. There's a posture in our life that has to reflect Jesus. We have to be aware of this. To miss this means our tongue is being used to help the devil. A posture like Jesus. I remember sitting across the table as a case manager, sitting across the table from a man who had, who had raped his eight-year-old granddaughter and was facing life in prison for it. He needs Jesus. But my heart was welled up with all manner of judgment and just thoughts of anger and desires for this man to burn. And God says, no, love him. Serve him, be Jesus, and give your life to this man. Bless him, bless him, and do not curse. Feed him, love him like I love him. I did this to you and for you. And now I want you to do this for others because I'm not on earth, but I've left you there to be me to everyone. And inside me, all I could hear were the screams of help. Because I could feel the weight of the spirit impressing upon me, but the, the anger of my flesh. And I hear God over and over in my head. I came for the sick. I came to seek and save the lost. God so loved the world for while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The love was shown in the midst of the sin. Love your enemies, do good to them. Our message needs to be good news. Jesus said this, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But what did Jesus say? I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So church, where's our posture? What's our posture to the world? We're talking about a design for, for glory. But we need to wrestle with what I think is most important. Not just another sermon that, it, that says what we actually already agree with. But a challenge to say, hey, listen, we're the people of God. We have been saved and our heart is not a heart that polarizes itself in an argument and tries to debate and win a battle and prove our side to be right. Here's the radical love of God that should be in our heart. It's a heart that prays and it said, God, God, maybe, maybe you want me to lay my life down for this person struggling with same sex attraction. Maybe God, you're going to call me to sacrifice my life and lay. I know you'll take care of my family. I know you're good. You're here, but life is short and I want it to matter. I want people to know I love them. And this particular person thinks, thinks that the church hates them. This person has tried to kill themselves. They're struggling so much over these things and there's so much confusion. I want them to see Jesus and me. God, if it be your will, let me lay down my life for this person. So they'll see, I love them. Is that a prayer in our heart? That's the heart of Jesus. We need to be, we need to be light and darkness, light and darkness. And our message is this. And maybe you're here this morning. Maybe you don't know Jesus. You're like, yeah, I am an outsider. I came here just to see what these people would say. Can I tell you this? I'll tell you this. We love you. We love you and given the opportunity 
God, strength willing, we would die for you. And we truly believe that Jesus is real and he died on the cross and he rose from the dead. And we believe that there is a better way of life. Each one of us is trying to go our own way, trying to figure out. And God reveals to us that that way is going to lead to death and destruction. But God in his goodness and his love gave up his only son gave him up in our place to take our place and to point us to a more satisfying way. Listen, I know what it's like to live in the flesh and have desires and to be pulled what I think will satisfy me. But my experience is that anything, anything I run to for my own satisfaction always leaves me dry and dead and wanting more. But my experience is when God was good to me in the midst of me going the wrong way, he showed me the living water that makes me never thirst again and the bread where I'm filled and never hungry again. And I want you to have it. That's what we're trying to say. This, this, isn't, this isn't an even argument. You disagree, I disagree. No, no, we love you and we care for you and we want you to know what's best. We're trying to point you to the summit and say, there's a better way of life and it's in Jesus. It is in Jesus. So church, Let's pray, ask God to be patient with us as he is every single day and to begin changing our hearts individually to have a burning passion for the lost, all people, all people, and not be confused by the arguments and the ways of the world to polarize us outside of our first purpose, which is being a citizen of heaven and ambassador for Christ here on planet earth. Let's pray. God, you're so good. You're so wonderful. I pray that my brothers and sisters here would would resonate with the heart of Jesus, that I would, and that collectively we would be the light shining in the darkness as you've left us, that we would be full of grace and truth and our lives would take on the posture of Jesus in every manner of life towards all people. I pray it in his great name. Amen. you created trading your crown for a cross willingly died your innocent life paid the cost counting your status as nothing the king of all kings came to serve washing my feet Covering me with your love Let's sing this If more of you means less of me Take everything Yes, all of you is all I need Take everything
Church, I wonder if um, today's word has been convicting to you. As you think back into the past and you see behavior that would push people away from Christ instead of to Him. You know what? I want to say this. Um, Bask in that conviction. Because Hebrews 12 says, The Father is treating you like His Son. He's bringing correction into into your life. The Father is treating you like a daughter, bringing correction into your life. And that's to be celebrated that he is treating you like his child. So receive the conviction and know that he's going to bring change in your life and make you look more like him. Boy, listen, the staff will be here. uh, Elders will be down here. There will be others standing ready um, to talk with you if you need to talk, to pray with you if you need to pray. And you do need to pray. So uh, we look forward to seeing you down here. Men, we'll see you tonight, 8.30. Vertical men in the cafe. Know this church, you are loved.